0: Uh, hopefully that was an encouragement uh, to you there. And uh, if you take your Bibles, please, take your Bibles. We'll go to Psalm 85, verse 6. Psalm 85, verse 6. That that song actually uh, was a great song to go along with the title of the message this morning. The title of the message is Prioritize Personal Revival. Prioritize Personal Revival. If you look at your Bibles, uh, Psalm 85, 6, what we really have is a prayer here. In Psalm 85, 6, if you're there in your Bible, Psalm 85, verse 6 says this,
1: Wilt thou not,
0: and here's the word, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? And many times uh, we hear uh, discussion about revival and emphasis on revival and even preaching about revival. And the question comes up, what is the definition of revival? And you know, the Bible defines itself. And the Bible always has the best definitions for the words that we want to use to put forth truth. And if you want to talk about revival, really, there's a great definition right in this verse here. It says, Wilt thou not revive us again, and here's the definition, that thy people may rejoice in thee. If you're looking for a good definition of revival, a personal revival, it would be this. Rejoicing in the Lord. Being in a place in your life where you're truly rejoicing in your relationship with the Lord. Where the thing that you most rejoice over is your relationship with the Lord. The thing that brings you the most joy, the thing that is the greatest source of your rejoicing, is where you stand with the Lord. Wilt thou not revive us again, it says here. And the idea that that gives us, and the truth that that gives us, is that many times personal revival is not a one-time thing. You can probably think of times in your life where you were walking in a more revived fashion, in a more joyful fashion, in a closer fashion with the Lord than you were at other times, and maybe even to what you are now. But it's great that we can come on a fresh day, and we can say this. Lord, would you revive us again today? Would you make it so that I, as a person who wants to walk with you, as a person who has a personal relationship with you, would you make it so that I am truly looking to you as the one in whom I most rejoice? That's a great definition of revival right there. Are you rejoicing in the Lord today? I've had some Great encouraging things uh, happen during these days uh, by means of just uh, hearing from, from, uh, from people that are responding to what God is doing in their life right now. And some people even that I didn't have uh, especially close contact with before that seem to be drawing closer to the Lord and really there's a fervor that's going on in their hearts right now. God is kindling something in their hearts to have a desire to be more involved in the things of the Lord. And to uh, have a closer fellowship with their local church and to really uh, be uh, uh, sensitive to what God wants to do in their hearts right now. And that's a wonderful thing. Just hearing from people saying, you know, God is, is, is doing something in my life right now, God's got my attention right now. Um, I know that God is working in my life. And so, you know, what's happening there is, is God is, He's reviving you. <laughs> God is is bringing you to that point where you are seeing again the value of rejoicing in Him. And so, that's what we want to especially talk about uh, here uh, today. And uh, we'll have a word of prayer and ask that God helps us with it. Lord, I pray that you help us uh, during this message. I pray that uh, this could be a great help to those who are listening. I pray for our church family, Lord, uh, that we would be interested in personal revival. That uh, we would uh, be interested in rejoicing in you. And Lord, I thank you. That as your word says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We need strength uh, uh, today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think you would agree with me that our nation uh, needs revival. And maybe that's another topic for another day. But I want you to think about when it comes to revival, and when it comes to maybe revival on a grander scale, I want you to think about looking in the mirror. Because when you look at the mirror, uh, and you look in the mirror, uh, hopefully every day, and that's uh, to be recommended, even if you're under quarantine, there's probably somebody with you that would appreciate it, if you looked in the mirror uh, at the beginning of the day, and saw what maybe could uh, be helped there a little bit. But you know, when you look at the mirror in the mirror, you should be reminded of this. The person in the mirror is the one with whom revival needs to start. That's the most important thing that you need to think about personally. Is there revival in your life right now? And if we're going to have revival in our nation, it's going to happen one person at a time, one person at a time, looking in the mirror and saying, where is my relationship with God? Am I truly rejoicing most of all in my relationship with God? Is that the most vivid thing to me? Is that the most important thing to me? And so revival is a personal thing. Prioritize personal revival. The two main ingredients for revival on any level are this. And you'll see this throughout history. You'll see this in the Bible accounts. You will recognize this in your personal life. The two main ingredients of revival are, first of all, prayer. And we see that in this verse here. Will God not revive us? And what prayer really shows, what prayer demonstrates, is that there's a humility of heart and that there's a desire of heart. In other words, you perceive your need. You humbly recognize that you have a need, and you express that. You begin to prioritize that. You, you uh, uh, express that to the Lord as a desire of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Is the desire of your heart today to truly be revived? Will thou not revive us again? How long has it been since you thought of that concept, and in so many words expressed that to the Lord? That you said, Lord, what I really need is personal revival. What I need is a renewed fervor in my relationship with you. And so the first ingredient for any revival at any level is prayer. And that's borne out by history. And that's borne out by scriptures. And it's even seen in this verse right here. And the second ingredient is this. It's repentance. Prayer and repentance. Because again, think of the analogy of looking in a mirror. When you look in the mirror, what does the Bible say? Well, according to James... Uh, That when you look in the mirror, God shows you what your need is, and then there's an expectation as God shows you that, that you're going to respond to that. Lord, wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? We look in the mirror of God's Word, we look in the mirror individually, and God will show us where things, (coughs) excuse me, that need to be changed in order for us to have revival. God is faithful to do that. God will will be faithful to say, okay, this area right now is hindering you from truly rejoicing in me. You're rejoicing in this here more than you're rejoicing, really, in your relationship with me. You're interested more in prioritizing this here than you are what will really give you uh, uh, satisfaction and fulfillment uh, in, in relationship with me. So God holds the mirror up and we must be honest about what we see and make the necessary changes. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? You know, we have a way of saying to ourselves, hey, you're looking pretty good today, when maybe you should get a second opinion. Because for some reason, you know, we have a way of looking in the mirror and lying to ourselves. We have a way of looking in the mirror and thinking that things are, are, are better than what they really are. We have a way of looking in the mirror and saying, you know, I don't think I'm really that needy after all. I'm looking pretty good here. And sometimes uh, we need to take a closer look, or maybe even say to somebody else, you know, is there a problem? Can you see something in me that maybe I'm missing? And uh, But God uh, God will, will, will continue to lead us in that regard. And so, we're going to look at some individuals today. We're going to look at a couple of negative examples, but then we're really going to focus on positive examples. We're going to look at some examples from the scriptures of those who needed personal revival. And you're going to be able to identify with these. You're going to be able to identify with the areas that we see here. Because with each individual, they were really struggling with something different that was hindering them from revival. And you're going to to see in this list of people, you're going to see in these individuals, these real people that struggle with, with, with the same things that we do. You know, we're all made out of the same stuff. You're going to see here things you can identify with. And maybe what one person struggles with is hindering them from revival. You might say, well, you know, that's not really my struggle. But then we'll probably get to somebody somewhere on the line where you're going to say, yeah, I I can totally identify with that right there. That's me right there. And we can learn uh, from what God shows us in the the lives of these individuals. So the first uh, individual I want you to think about as a negative example is uh, is Cain. Cain. And you probably know the story a little bit of Cain, but let's go to Genesis chapter 4. We'll go to Genesis chapter 4. And with Cain... The thing that kept him from having revival in his heart, and it was so tragic because things could have been so different with Cain. He really had the, the the inside track and having a wonderful relationship with God. And God spoke to him personally. God was trying to help him. But pride was the hindrance for Cain experiencing personal revival. Let's look at Genesis chapter 4, and we'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, but unto Cain, and to his offering, he had no not respect. So God did not respect Cain's offering, because it didn't picture what offerings were supposed to picture by the blood sacrifice. And so Cain, instead of responding by saying, okay, this doesn't please the Lord, so I'm going to make a change here, when the mirror was put in front of him, instead of him saying, you know, this is me, not God, I'm going to make a change here, he got angry. It says that Cain was very wroth." And his countenance fell. He developed a bad attitude. And then in verse uh, 6 it says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou raw? And why is that countenance fallen? In other words, Cain, take a look at yourself here. Take an honest look at yourself. Take a look at what's going on in your heart and how it's it's manifesting itself in your attitude. And then it says in verse 7, If thou doest well. Look, look, Cain. If you listen to me, and you look in the mirror, and you make the change, you can have personal re- revival. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Can't you be back in good relationship with me? If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. There's something prowling at your door, Cain. <laughs> There's something that's, that is seeking to get into your heart. There's something at the, at the, at the door there that uh, you're in danger if that gets through. And it says, and unto thee shall be his desire, thou shalt rule over him. Verse 8, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother. You know, thinking, okay, you know, at at this uh, point, maybe he's made a change. Maybe he's he's listened to God. Maybe he's had revival that will help him in his relationship with his brother. But it says, and Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. What a tragic thing. How unnecessary, how different it could have been uh, for Cain if it hadn't been for, for his pride. And so God comes again. God, even now, is trying to help Cain. Even with, with, with this heinous of a thing that he did here, God's still trying to help him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, thy brother? Now God really wasn't wondering where he was. God wasn't confused about where Abel was. But but he's he's engaging Cain's heart here. This is what God does. God engages our hearts with questions. You know, where are you, uh, Cain? And where's your brother? What's going on here? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? So he still isn't being genuine. He still isn't being honest with God. And in verse 10, and he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth and received thy brother's uh, blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a of, uh, vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the fa- uh, thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass, and everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And here you have Cain, because of his pride, uh, because of his stubbornness against God, because when he was shown in the mirror, he wasn't willing to change, you have Cain forever the victim. And that could be a nickname for Cain. Cain forever the victim. And have you ever been around somebody that's just forever the victim? Because they're never willing to have personal revival when God works in their heart. And uh, and, and that's a tragic thing. And it was a downward spiral uh, for Cain. Never taking respons- a, a personal responsibility Thus, never experiencing the liberating beauty of personal revival. How different things could have been. A couple of other uh, uh, just negative examples, just briefly. Think of Saul, the first king of Israel. How different it could have been for Saul. How glorious his reign could have been if he hadn't have been rebellious. If he hadn't had a willful spirit against the Lord. If, if At those times when Samuel had come to him, if he just said, You know, you're right, I've got to get my heart right here. You know, Samuel would use God's word for him to look in the mirror, and Saul just made excuses. And it was rebellion. And the statement was made to him, you know, you know Saul, your rebellion is like is like witchcraft. And it's keeping you from rejoicing in the Lord. And there was a downward spiral that ended in tragedy in Saul's life as well. A pathetic, a pathetic situation. Think of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament. And uh, with, with, with Cain, it was his pride. Uh, with Saul it was his rebellion with Ananias and Sapphira, it was, it was their desire for notoriety their desire for notoriety and you know they, they could have experienced revival when they came to Peter if and when God was working in their heart they could have still made that right right then they could have said you know this is what we're trying to portray here this is not the situation and the the husband and the wife they, 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 could, they could have they could have I, I think God there was a window there. There's always a window. There's a window in which they could have gotten things right and had personal revival. But their desire for notoriety kept them from doing that. So already we have several things here. We have pride. We have rebellion. We have the desire for notoriety that steal the, the, the potential beauty of the experience that we can have of revival in our lives. But I want to look at five positive examples here. And in these five positive examples, you're going to see the same pattern over and over again. They each had something that was hindering them from personal revival. God showed them what it was, and they made the change. And they made the change. And I want you to notice something, that that inevitably, when we make the change, it affects others for revival as well. When we're willing to respond for personal revival, God almost sweeps that further uh, from beyond ourselves into the lives of others uh, almost every time. So let's think, first of all, a positive example of personal revival. Let's think of Elijah. Let's think of Elijah. I'm going to send you several passages here as we look at these individuals. We don't have time to look at all the story of any of them, but just to to hit some snapshots of them that will illustrate these things. We have Elijah, and we find Elijah... Uh, sometimes a little bit of a cycle here when it comes to uh, to where he was and in, in his, in his heart towards the Lord. But he's a great prophet of God, generally speaking, used greatly of God. But there's a time that we fall, find him under the juniper tree per se, and he's wallowing there in self pity and discouragement. The thing that was keeping Elijah from personal revival was this: it was self pity and discouragement. And so let's go to First uh, Kings 19 verse 4. 1 Kings 19, verse 4. We're going to pick it up there and just look at a little bit of, uh, of, of Elijah's situation here. Because we're talking about prioritizing personal revival in the pattern in which we will experience if we're going to do that. 1 Kings 19, 4. It says of Elijah, and this is on the heels of a great victory at Mount Carmel, where God honored the prayer of Elijah, showed his power great, set down fire from on high, and it was a wonderful time to the glory of God. But he got news of the fact that 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 wicked king uh, uh, um, was after him and the queen uh, Jezebel. And uh, so they were after Elijah. And he was on the run. And he got discouraged. And he got down. And it says here in 1 Kings 19.4. But he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness and came and sat under the juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under the juniper tree, behold, the angel of the Lord touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. So what do you have? You have Elijah in this place of discouragement, and he's wallowing in self-pity, and he's saying it's not even worth it anymore. Lord, why don't you just take my life? This isn't, there's no use living anymore. And, and the Lord sends an angel just minister to Elijah. i not going to give up on him here. He says, hey, Elijah, you know, get get up and eat something here. Get your strength back a little bit. And we see there throughout the passage that God continues to work with him, and he brings Elijah back to having his mind and his heart in the right place, to listen to that still voice of the Lord that was going to bring the instructions that he needed to get personal revival in his life. You know, you may be that person that, that wallowing in discouragement today is keeping you from revival. It's keeping you from really rejoicing in the Lord. And that was the case, be encouraged, be encouraged. That was the case of the mighty prophet of God here, uh, Elijah. But you know, Elijah went on from this, and he went on to get back to power in his life. He went, he went on to get back to being effective as a representative of God in his life. Let's go to 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2, and uh, just look at, uh, at verse 8. Because what happened is that because Elijah experienced personal revival... And he didn't take his own life and, and he didn't give up at this point. And, he, and, and God did bring him to this revival. You know, he ended up having a great impact on the next prophet, which he mentioned, which was Elisha. In 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2, and verse 8, it says, And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together. And look, you see Elijah back on his game here. And he wrapped it together and he smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And so you can see Elijah just walking in the power of God here. And he walks up to some uh, some deep uh, waters with some current, and he says, no problem. You know, and he takes his mantle and wraps it, and he just smites the water and just opens up, and they just walk across. So he's got the power again. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, him, him and the Elisha, that Elisha uh, the Elijah sent him to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee, before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And that happened. Yes, that happened in a glorious way. You know, Elisha ended up having the double portion of the spirit of of Elijah. And went even further than Elisha did as a prophet. Did even grander things in his life of the power of God than Elijah did. But you know, that never would have happened. It never would have happened with Elisha in that way if Elijah hadn't responded to God's work in his life for personal revival. So when you respond personally, God will use that in the lives of others as well. Who are within, Who's within your influence? Who do you maybe have some responsibility towards? Who do you have a voice with? A lot of what maybe God is doing in their life right now may depend upon whether you listen to Him for personal revival or not. So, we have one example here of something that might hinder us from personal revival, and that's wallowing in self pity and discouragement. And Elijah went from this onto victory and onto power, and God used it in the lives of many and the lives of Elisha specifically. Let's look at another one, another example here, another positive example of uh, personal revival, and that's Ezra. That's Ezra. Now, Ezra was at a time where there was a great drought of God's word. I believe in the life of Ezra that he was experiencing the effects of this famine, the the effects of this famine of God's Word. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. And what we have now is a renewed access to God's Word. And you can see, by the way, that that Ezra responds to this, that that he's going through a revival in his life. And when he goes through the excitement of of, of being rekindled in this fervor from God's word, he has access to God's word now. He's excited about the Bible. He's seeing what it's doing to his heart. He's saying, you know, this can't stop here. I have to pass this along to others as well. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 2, pick it up in verse 2. It says, Ezra, he's a spiritual leader here. And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women and all they could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein, before the street that was before the water gate, from morning until, until midday, before the men and the women, and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive under the book of the law. And here's a beautiful thing. You have Ezra experiencing personal revival after a drought of God's Word. And he's saying, you know, I think God is is He's calling me to preach this, and I believe God's doing the same thing today. Where, where you have individuals, you have young men who are responding to revival in their life, and it's always been this way with the Word of God. And so you have young men that respond personal revival, and they get excited about what God's Word does for them. And then what what, what do they want to do? They want to proclaim that to others. They can't help but to say, uh, "Lord, give me opportunities." to preach the truth to others as well, to proclaim the truth. And so you see how this impacted Ezra, and by extension how it uh, 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 how it impacted the congregation that God gave him here. In verse 4 it says, and Ezra, the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. In verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And then uh, uh, look at uh, verse 6, And Ezra uh, blessed the Lord, uh, um the great God and all the people answered amen amen were' lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground so you had the drought of God's word and you had now a tremendous appreciation for God's word and the people he led experienced great revival as well now this is a little side note here uh, notice that when people got excited about God's word what they say? And they said amen, right? And you say, well, that's just, uh, that's just a, a, a wacky you know, uh, Baptist phenomenon. Uh, There's crazy Baptists uh, today that like to say amen. But no, that goes back a long time. You know, When people here, uh, they get excited about God's word, they say, hey, we, we take that to heart. We agree with that. Hey, preacher, amen. You know, keep, keep giving us the word of God. And it talks about giving the sense thereof in that passage and the application that was given. And the people, it was a sweeping revival. You go on in that passage and study it out. There's a sweeping revival of repentance among the people. And so with Ezra, the drought of God's word was broken. And maybe that's what's keeping you from, from a revival, from personal revival. Maybe there's a drought of God's word in your life. Maybe you've just been pushing God's word to the background. Maybe you have, it hasn't come alive to you in a long time. Maybe it hasn't been exciting to you in a long time. And you can come back to personal revival by getting excited about God's word again. And being open for uh, God to use you to pass that along to others as well. Third example. Third example of personal revival. Uh, as We've looked at uh, Elijah. We've looked at Ezra. is Jonah. Jonah. Another prophet. Another prophet, Jonah. And uh, maybe one that we wouldn't think of as having quite the prowess that, uh, that Elijah uh, did. Or Elisha. But Jonah. And Jonah was hindered by a lack of burden. He was hindered by a lack of burden for the for the lost, and by a lack of vision for the lost. And uh, let's go to uh, to the book of Jonah, of course, the book of Jonah. And uh, let's go to Jonah chapter one. And so you have Jonah here, and he's in his comfort zone, and, and he's doing his thing. And and the Lord comes along, and he shows the, he puts the mirror in front of Jonah. And he puts the mirror in front of Jonah, and he shows Jonah that he's not burdened. For the lost, for those that have never heard the gospel. And so Jonah in uh, in, in in one uh, verse 1 says now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. What's, what's the word of God? It's a mirror. It's a mirror. The word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of uh, uh, Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh. So when the word of the Lord came to Jonah, what was the Lord doing? He was putting that mirror in front of Jonah, seeing if Jonah was willing to go to Nineveh that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee on the Tarshish, which we can see geographically was totally in the opposite direction. Jonah said, no way am I going to Nineveh. I do not have a burden for Nineveh. That's the last people that I want to see uh, come to the truth. And so he he, uh, he he ran to Tarshish for the presence of the Lord, which is uh, a, a kind of a comical uh Notion there that someone could someone could actually run from the presence of the Lord, but he's trying to get away from that mirror. He doesn't want to have any part of what God's asking him to do here. And he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go uh, with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah needed revival. The thing that was keeping him from revival was he didn't have a burden for other people that were lost. He had the truth himself, but he didn't really care that much about what other people having. But let's go down to Jonah chapter 3, and we tell them that this was quite a process for Jonah to get to 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 revival. And you might ask yourself, you I know, mean, what is it going to take in my life for God to bring revival to my life? I mean, am I going to have to be swallowed by a, a big fish and, uh, and, and, and and die to self there and be regurgitated for a second chance? Is that is that what God's going to have to put me through? Is there something uh, to the equivalent of that that God is going to have to put me through to get my attention? And so God shows us the mirror. If we're not willing to look in the mirror, and make the change. Maybe He's going to have to do something more drastic. And thankfully, Jonah finally responded here, and, and he went and he, he kind of slipped in and out of revival, and he was seen to be a kind of a complicated sort, like we many are at times. And uh, in Jonah chapter three in verse one, it says, "The word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying." Arise and go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh. And so now, when the mirror comes a second time, you know Jonah says, "Fine, Lord, I'll do that. I will go and I will preach Your word to the wicked Ninevites." And uh, he said, "And and, "And preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee." So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a 3 days journey. It took three days just to walk through that city. And then uh, um, it says in verse 4, And Jonah began to enter the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. Now think of this. Because Jonah experience personal revival, what do you see? You see a a city to the magnitude that it would take three days just to walk through this city. Three days. Jonah, one day into it, he's thinking, okay, I must be pretty close to the epicenter of this city. I'm going to start preaching right here. And a great, great revival of repentance swept through Nineveh because one man experienced personal revival. Example number four. What might be hindering you from personal revival here this morning? There's different things that hinder different people. It might be wallowing in discouragement and pity. It may be a a lack of burden uh, for the lost. It may be a drought of God's Word in your life. Well, let's look at the example of Peter. Peter, another one who needed personal revival. You think of Peter, you know, as that that great preacher and and that great uh, great man of God who, who was willing to even die for his faith. Peter, there was a time when he drastically needed personal revival. And it's like, look, don't be discouraged this morning if you need personal revival. You're you're really part of quite a list here. And let's look at Peter. And uh, let's go to uh, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at uh, what happens with uh, with Peter in Acts chapter 2. But before what happens here, you're familiar with the fact that, that there was a time when Peter was just downright ashamed of Jesus. He was downright ashamed of being identified with Jesus Christ. You know, when he was around uh, uh, the, those, those people there that, that really weren't that keen on Jesus Christ, they, weren't, they wouldn't be really uh, that excited about the name of Jesus. You know, he, he didn't want to be identified with Jesus. He was ashamed of that. And he went to the, the point of denying Jesus uh, several times. And it was a terrible, terrible uh, moment in Peter's life. And maybe in your life, you know, what's keeping you from personal revival is because at some level you're you're ashamed of being a Christian. You're ashamed of the name of Jesus. And it might be around certain people you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm for Jesus. And there are other people, you know, you just want to be low-key about that. And if they were there to ever bring it up, you would just say, ah, you know, that's not really a big deal to me. Well, something changed in Peter's life. And we know he wept bitterly. And we know that he came to a place of repentance in that. And let's look at a different Peter because of that. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. And so he goes on to preach a great, powerful message here. Now think about this. You had thousands and thousands of people here now. You had people that were saying, Oh man, you disciples, you you apostles, you're just a bunch of drunkards. It doesn't make sense what you're saying. The opposition was was thousands of times stronger than what it had been with a little servant girl around a fire. It was thousands of times of the magnitude of that. But because Peter had personal revival in his life, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. This is of no consequence. And he got up and he preached and he said, Hearken to my words. And if you look down at verse 41, look at the result of it. Look at the result of it of them that had had mocked the disciples, of them that had said, you know, these guys don't have anything to offer. Peter stood up in the face of that, and he was not ashamed anymore. No longer was there the hindrance of shame in the the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He got up and he preached, and then in verse 41 it says, of Acts chapter 2, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now look, if Peter had never personally experienced and personally prioritized revival, he never would have been used of God in this way. It never would have happened. The same Peter that not long before, when he was in a backslidden state, could not even stand up to a little servant girl. When he got back to rejoicing in the Lord, was used in a powerful way. Look, if you realize you're backslidden today, don't be discouraged about that. But get it right. Get back to that place of power in your relationship with God. One more example. One more example. And we have uh, different things here that maybe different people struggle with that may keep them from personal revival. Now let's look at one more. Let's go to, uh, again, in the New Testament. We'll stay right in the book of Acts. So we'll look at Acts verse uh, uh, chapter 15. Acts 15. Then we're going to look at a a young man named John Mark. John Mark. And we'll pick it up uh, there in verse 35. Verse 35. Acts chapter 15. And we have John Mark. And if you know a little bit about the story of John Mark, probably what we say about John Mark is that he was immature and he was undependable. He was immature and he's undependable. He, He became a quitter. And maybe that's what's kept you from personal revival in your life. You know, you're just you're not dependable. You make decisions and then you quit. You decide to go uh, here on this mission trip, uh, like John did, and then and then you then you quit. You bail out. People are depending on you in the ministry, and you you don't you don't follow through. There's an immaturity there, and maybe you've made decisions and you've quit on them, and so you're saying, "What's the use of me deciding this again?" Where should I go from here? I've failed this before. I've been excited about God before and I failed. So, why, why should I follow through this time? Well, let's look here at this uh, situation with, with, with John Mark. Maybe you'd be encouraged by this. It says in verse uh, 35, Acts 15, verse 35, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of God with many others also. So, there's a ministry going on here, there's something of magnitude uh, for the Lord. And some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take John uh, with them, uh, whose surname was Mark. And so they're going on a trip here. They're going on a survey trip, a missions trip of sorts. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take John Mark with us. Now he'd been with them before, and we've seen this born out here. Uh, In verse 38 it says, but Paul thought not good to take him with them. So as soon as Barnabas said, hey, let's, let's take John Mark with us, Paul was like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. Hey, hey, Barnabas, are you remembering the last time we brought him along? Do you remember how that panned out? It says, but Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. So he says, hey, don't you remember John Mark last time? We got right in the middle of what we were trying to do there in Pamphylia, and, 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 and John, and, uh, John Mark just quit. He quit on us. And uh, he left us to, to have to pick up the slack for him. And so um, it says, And the contention was so sharp between them, between Barnabas and between Paul, that they departed asunder from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus, and Paul so, uh, chose Silas to departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So, some people said to Paul, look, you know, you need a partner for this, and obviously you're not going to be with Barnabas, who's going with John Mark instead. So, hey, we recommend Silas, because Silas is a young man who's submitted to the Lord right now. He is walking in a revival state, and he'll be be beneficial to you. And so you think, well, that might be the end of the story. But that's not the end of the story, because we know somewhere along the line, and this is a wonderful thing, and I think this can apply to so many of us. Somewhere along the line, John Mark, who had quitted before, who hadn't followed through before, who had been immature and undependable before, somehow he experienced revival in his life. And we see the evidence of that in 2 Timothy 4.11. 2 Timothy 4.11. Just a little snapshot here. Just the same guy, Paul, who had said about uh, John Mark, I really don't have any use for him anymore. I I really don't want him alone because he's immature, he's a quitter, and we're just going to have to pick out the slack for him in the end. But here in 2 Timothy 4.11, it says, Only Luke is with me. This is Paul talking. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark. It's the same guy now. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. This is a later time. This is a time after where Paul had kind of given up on John Mark and seen that that John Mark was not walking in, in, in revival and commitment to the Lord. This is a time later that he says, you know, Mark now has become profitable. In the ministry, he's become dependable. He's matured. And he has had a revival in his life that has made such a big difference. The immature and undependable quitter became a valued teammate and missionary. And undoubtedly, as he worked with Paul, he personally impacted many. But think about this he helped Paul, who has helped an immeasurable number since then millions. Millions of people and continues to do so uh, through the Word of God to this day. The impact of one young man who experienced personal revival in his life. So, as we conclude here this morning, we have seen a variety of things that keep individuals from revival. With Elijah, it was wallowing in self pity and discouragement. Ezra, a famine of God's Word. Jonah, a lack of burden and disobedience to God's voice. Peter, fear and a lack of faith, ashamed of Jesus. John Mark, immaturity, quitting. Cain, pride, and a victim's mentality. Saul, pride and self-will. Ananias and Sapphira, a desire for personal notoriety. We can go on and on throughout the Bible and even uh, throughout history to find examples. For example, like David. David, a man after God's own heart, needed personal revival. Look, be encouraged. (laughs) Be encouraged this morning. If you recognize that you need to start prioritizing personal revival in your life, look at the list that you're in. David. The man after God's own heart, what became a hindrance to him? Lust. Immorality. Seeking to rejoice in the Lord at a momentary time to instead rejoice in something he had no business rejoicing over. And so maybe, maybe it's something like that that's keeping you back today. Maybe it's some uh, uh, loss. It's getting you, your eyes on, on something that's out of bounds, that that that's not rightfully yours to put your eyes upon. Some immorality in your life, and that was a terrible time in David's life. And he had to, he he had to come back to a place of repentance. You know, he needed Nathan the prophet to come and say, "This is you, David. <laughs> this is exactly where you are at right here. What are you going to do about it?" David looked in that mirror, and this is the reason why, you know, you see David as a man after God's own heart. because if David looked in that mirror and he saw the sad situation that it was, he had a, an example of repentance that to this day stands as our example of brokenness and a contrite heart in the face of sin and getting back to the place of rejoicing in the Lord. The great need of the hour. As for men and women to be revived in their relationship with Almighty God. And to be used of God to powerfully impact others. What's keeping you from experiencing revival? This is really a simple message. God will show you in the mirror what's going on. Will you agree with Him? Will you repent and move on to victory and openness in your relationship with Him? Will you come to that place where there's nothing between you and Him? Nothing is worth it. Nothing is worth having your attention that's going to keep you from having personal revival in your life. You know, there's probably going to be some hard times ahead for us. Uh, I would say that the ball is rolling now. It's snowballing in such a way that it's, it's probably going to it's going to signal some some hard times ahead, some difficult days ahead for us. You know what the need is going to be, above all? The need is going to be for strong, revived Christians to be walking in a genuine, powerful relationship with the God of the universe and so to be used by Him to impact the lives of others during these days. Are you willing to be that person? Are you willing today to take whatever God has shown you in this message He has put The mirror in front of you. Are you willing to say, Lord, Lord, will you revive us again? Will you revive us again? Would you revive me again? And would you make me a person that's rejoicing in you? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the way you work in our hearts. And Lord, I thank you for your word that is so clear. Lord, I thank you for this pattern, this recourse that you've given us. Lord, you tell us if we confess, if we agree with you, you are faithful and just, Lord, to forgive us and to restore us and to put us back in that place of usefulness. And I have no doubt that we can all identify with this, Lord, the need to prioritize personal revival. So I pray for each person where they are here this morning. Lord, would you just personally work in their hearts? Would you personally guide them to this place of of wonder and beauty and liberty? That place of personally responding to you. Your heart towards us, Lord, is so wonderful. It's a heart of love. It's a heart of compassion. It's a heart of grace. It's a heart of mercy. But Lord, there's there's a responsibility that we have to respond to it. We know there's no greater place in this universe than the place of walking in closeness with you. Nothing between me and the Savior. Lord, whatever it is that's hindering us today, may we do whatever needs to be done. May we take whatever action is needed. May we there be a finality to it as we say, I'm no longer letting this obstacle stand between me and my God. And I pray this in Jesus' name.